Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at the University of Western Ontario. My name is Roger and I'm joined by my co-host today, Tanya. Hello. And we are joined by our guest today, Aaron Shellington. How are you doing, Aaron? Good, thanks. Fantastic, then. Aaron Shellington is a uh, PhD candidate in kinesiology, but not too long from now, she'll, we'll, she will have graduated out of the candidacy and will be a full-out doctor, isn't that right? Yes, in two weeks' time. It's extremely exciting. Mm-hmm. Would you like to uh, tell us a little bit about your thesis that you're obviously working so hard on up to right now? Sure, yes. So it's about this program called Square Stepping Exercise. This program was developed in Japan um, by a fellow named Shigematsu. Um, as a falls prevention program. So what it is, is we have these gridded mats uh, and are developed into 40 squares with patterns in a book. An instructor demonstrates a pattern across these mats and the participants have to try to remember and repeat the patterns Mm. on their own. So uh, it's sort of a memory task, but we also look at it in terms of mobility. Um, We focus on older adult populations. So how old are the adults that you normally look at? So generally our inclusion criteria for our studies are 50 or 55 years and older. I think we had one study that was 65 years and older. Cool. Very interesting. And you can assess these uh, through this task. You can assess both the cognition aspect and the mobility aspect, right, as you were saying. Yeah. So, yeah, we look at um, our outcome measures and we look at cognition in our older adult populations to see if this memory task um, improves um, either memory or other parts of cognition, so executive functioning or global cognition. And we also look at mobility, as you mentioned, um, so things like gait and balance um, and sort of walking. And there's these hmm. functional tasks, timed up and go and 30 second chair stand that we used. So do you do anything with them before they start the program to measure all these behaviors and then, yes. then over time see what happens? Yes, for sure. Yeah. So we have these measurements that we do um, at sort of baseline and then at our post intervention periods. So we did 24-week or 12-week interventions mm-hmm. with the program. So really quickly, I want to step back for a second. And You mentioned the term square-stepping, the whole method that you're using to study this. Um, it, very interesting name. Um, and and uh, because of what you alluded to, the squares on the mat uh, sounds like the, the name fits the, the method of the protocol fairly well. Do you want to speak a little bit more about what that involves and uh, how you go about testing? Oh, sure. So um, it's like, as you mentioned, it's basically some people refer to it as like, it's almost close to square dancing, mm-hmm. but not quite. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, we have there's over 200 patterns um, that get progressively more difficult. So they become a beginner patterns. Then we have intermediate and advanced patterns um, sort of challenge the participants. Um, but the measurements that we use to test whether they're getting better at their cognition or mobility um, so for our cognitive measures in my studies, I used um, what's called the Cambridge Brain Sciences. They were actually developed by Dr. Adrian Owen and Adam Hampshire, um, who were, well, Adrian Owen's still at the Brain and Mind Institute here at Western. Very cool. Um, mm-hmm. Adam Hampshire is no longer. They developed them when they were at Cambridge University uh, together. Um, so they're this online computer games, essentially, um, that we have the participants do before and after. Um, the assessments. 
And so since you're almost at defense time, what was the results of participating in square stepping for 12 weeks and or 24 weeks? Oh, right. So um, I did it in three different populations. So we did it in adults with knee osteoarthritis. And so we looked at these adults with uh, for mobility outcomes. So we saw some improvements in sort of functional outcomes. So uh, lower extremity functional fitness. So their legs were getting stronger, um, which we would extrapolate to think that this would help improve their falls risk. Hmm. Um, Also, we didn't actually see the results, but um, we also looked at pain outcomes for adults with knee osteoarthritis, um, as this is uh, one of the main factors or symptoms that they have. Um, We didn't actually see any improvements, unfortunately. Um, But we did see some functional improvements and walking speed as well. I forgot that one. Mm -hmm. Um, We did it in adults with type 2 diabetes. Um, So the reason why we chose this population is because they're at high risk for cognitive decline or dementia. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we did the Cambridge Brain Sciences, those computer games. And uh, we saw improvements in their executive function. Specifically, we looked at um, part of those Cambridge Brain Sciences is the, the, a planning task. Um, so in the planning tasks, we saw improvements, which we think probably had to do with the idea of planning your step patterns or step movement foot patterns across the mat. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, and then we did it in adults in long-term care uh, and retirement living homes. And the most exciting result we found in this is in residents with dementia specifically, over a three-month period, we found improvements in mood and behaviors, mm. um, specifically looking at depression, uh, delusions, and disinhibition um, of participating in this program, which was very exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on that note, um, do you think anything uh, in terms of like the social atmosphere and participating in this kind of a study also had an effect on how the adults, how they did on the program? Oh yeah, so I guess I, that's something I also forgot to mention is it is intended to be a social program as well. Um, so that's something that also can contribute to improvements in cognition, but we can't separate those out necessarily. And I'm not sure that we really want to. Mm-hmm. One thing we did sh- we do struggle with in with this program is that we don't really know how to measure social improvements. Um, mm. I feel like this, maybe some qualitative researchers out there might know um, <laughs> a better way to do this. Um, but yes, it's definitely intended to be a social program, especially in the long-term care and retirement living homes. Um, you think about these people might be very isolated, um, and that's also a risk factor for development to dementia. So sort of just getting out of them, out of their rooms, out of their chairs, and uh, talking to one another, mm-hmm. doing some physical activity, we hope to help benefit their cognition. How did they feel when the program would end then? Um, so some of them, I think, were happy because some of them found it really uh, challenging. <laughs> um, but I know, so the, the partners that we, in the long-term and retirement care, the Schlegel Villages, um, they want to continue to do this program as one of their core programs. Mm-hmm. So we're working with them to sort of try and develop a more longitudinal study so they can implement it um, as part of one of their core pro- physical activity programs. That's amazing. Very mm-hmm. interesting. And, mm-hmm. and so, so what, to what extent do you think the... Uh, the benefits that you observed, for instance, with the diabetes and uh, co-cognitive decline, uh, like to what extent do you think those benefits would uh, generalize to other aspects of, of the individual's life? Would it potentially uh, be useful if these individuals were to go through the square-stepping physical routine? Would it help to uh, deter the onset of dementia or Alzheimer's, or would this be more of a diagnostic tool? Where, where do you see this research going? Um, 
Well, there's lots of research looking at exercise as a uh, intervention for cognitive decline. Sure. Currently, there are no pharmaceuticals that demonstrate benefit to slowing um, the progression of dementia. Hmm. Um, so there's lots of literature out there um, that seems to demonstrate that exercise could have potential benefit. It has to do with improvement of blood flow to your brain, more or less. Mm, there are some other wow. things, but um, that's more or less what the theory is. And um, so uh, we feel that, you know, if people try to, to use this program in different settings... Um, it doesn't, we would say probably on top of other types of physical activity, um, but so often, or, you know, our population is so generally sedentary anyways. Mm. So if this is a starting point that's sort of fun and enjoyable, a bit of a challenge, mm. um, that this, this will at least sort of help um, slow the progression, hopefully, um, mm. or at least have some level of maintenance of cognition, uh, especially as you mentioned in vulnerable populations, such as adults with type 2 diabetes. Um, part of the reason why we chose one of th this population as an example, um, because they have high high self-management um, needs. So in terms of taking insulin, um, this if someone has cognitive impairments and is trying to take insulin injections, this could become very dangerous. Okay. Um, primary care physicians um, have a very hard time trying to balance this idea of cognitive impairment with managing their um, t managing their diabetes. Uh, in some cases, they choose to take their patients off or to not allow their patients to take insulin injections because it's too dangerous mm -hmm. for wow. them to do these injections. Um, so this is what we want to try and sort of under better understand how to maintain the cognition, especially in these vulnerable populations such as type 2 diabetes. So with the square stepping, you're really adding the element of memory because they have to actually memorize the routines. And then you're also adding the exercise piece because they're physically moving to do these activities. So what are your thoughts on, I know there's lots of apps for older adults to do memory tasks. Is this comparable or is it not? Right. So there's lots of sort of brain training or cognitive training tasks. Um, and what the literature actually shows on that is that you get better at the games, you don't necessarily have better cognition. Hmm. Um, so again, it was a study by Adrian Owen and Adam Hampshire. Um, they did a, I think, believe it was a three-month study when they were over in the UK um, with a um, sample size of like 11,000 people wow. looking at brain training. And they saw that the participants got better at the brain training games but did not improve their global cognition or their cognition hmm. skills outside of the games. So we like to argue <laughs> that combining a um, sort of mind-motor mm -hmm. exercise, if you will, sort of the physical um, physical activity with the cognitive training mm -hmm. um, is a better um, option. So even, you know, not necessarily square-stepping, but other things like learning how to dance, um, or actually there's a little bit of things out there learning how to juggle. Mm -hmm. okay. um, so this idea uh, of moving our, our bodies with our minds. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Do, do you think motor memory or any of these uh, other aspects that are unrelated to specifically cognition or the, the physical uh, activity, maybe the, their interaction would uh, contribute to the improvements that you're seeing in your studies? Yeah, I think so. I mean... I think any sort of sort of movement is is helpful. Um, whether the the motor memory, do you mean like 
like muscle memory of yeah, moods. Yeah, the muscle memory. The, yeah, for sure. I think it's more more along the lines of of improvements of blood flow. Um, by doing physical activity, we're increasing our blood flow. Um, so we're getting you know, more oxygen, more nutrients to our brain, hmm. um, perhaps helping helping our brain to s- have better function and structure um, as we age. Oh, very interesting. I, I'm just curious, maybe is there any, you mentioned that there are no pharmaceutical uh, drugs at the moment that can delay the onset. I'm just curious if there's anything that uh, that's unrelated to physical activity that might increase that blood flow to the, bl- to the brain and might serve the same purpose. Hmm. I make it, you make an interesting point whether some um, uh, cardiovascular pharmaceuticals may. Um, I'm not sure if, about the whether there's any data on that or not. Um, to be honest, that's an you interesting. To put a debate with a kinesiologist about <laughs> exercise. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I would always say exercise is better because of all of the um, other health benefits beyond cognition. So, I mean, we know that exercise helps with, you know, cardiovascular disease and um, diabetes and Definitely. osteoarthritis and, you know. It's the only medicine that can target all chronic diseases. <laughs> yes, as Tanya says, you know, exercise is medicine, right? <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So now that you're coming to the end of your PhD, let's rewind to before it even started. Mm-hmm. So you have an interesting background for where you did your master's. So tell us about that. Yes. So I uh, did my undergrad at Guelph and I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. So I started looking into master's degrees um, outside of Canada and I ended up uh, pursuing a degree at the University of Essex uh, in Colchester, England, if anyone <laughs> knows. It's about 45 minutes northeast of London. The other London. The the other. <laughs> yes, the better London, if you will. <laughs> um, and so it was a one-year master's that was course-based um, and we did a little mini project in the summertime and it, it was in cardiac rehabilitation. Um, it was very interesting. Um, I met a few other Canadians there. They were undergraduate students, um, but they're what they call postgraduate is equivalent to our graduate school. So actually at the University of Essex, 50% of their postgraduate students are international. So I, my program was a program of nine people and half of us were from outside of the UK, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So I met some friends who are Norwegian, some English friends, um, so it was really, it was a great experience. Must have been a wonderful experience. Yeah, and you know, got to do some traveling in there too. Oh, <laughs> awesome. The only downside was the international tuition. <laughs> uh. So from there, how did you sort of become interested in, in your current thesis? Yeah, so I, so I did it in cardiac rehab, so I already have an interest in exercise and chronic disease. Um, so I came back to Canada when I was done um, you know, still wasn't really sure what I wanted to do for a career. And uh, it was actually a family member who um, recommended me to Western and to my supervisor here. Um, and so I contacted and, uh, you know, expressed my interest in, in his research. And so I sort of just went with it. <laughs> and here we are four years later um, <laughs> talking about it. Did it go by quickly? Yes. <laughs> yes and no. Yes. Mostly yes. <laughs> Some parts were slow. <laughs> Have, have you noticed any uh, differences between the graduate programs overseas in England versus here in Canada? Oh, most definitely. Um, we have, or Canadian universities or institutions have a very different outlook on um, university or higher education than the UK does. Uh, for example, 
we're very theory based and do lots of writing and research, which is all great. Mm-hmm. Um, universities in the UK, um, as a requirement for their accreditation, at least in their undergraduate degrees, have to must have some sort of practical or experiential learning component hmm. to be accredited as a program. Interesting. So they're very much based on learning skills for the workplace, and you know when you're finished your degree to be able to get a job. They're very you know focused on how how you can get a job and be successful um, after your undergraduate degree as well as graduate degrees too some some things are require the, the professional or graduate program sounds like there's no downsides no <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. they have yes they have a much like a much different outlook uh, on um, higher education than we do much more practical um, a lot less theory based um, so it's almost a combination of what we would consider colleges and universities kind of do a combo of those and do they have a difference between the two over so college per se in the uk is sort of an in-between stepping stone between their high school and their university okay so if someone wants to go to university they end high school around the age of 16 they go to college for two years and then they go to university at the the age of 18. interesting Mm -hmm. that's very different it's it's more their colleges are like are more public Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's almost part of their high school, but it's not mandatory. It's not mandatory. Okay. It's, okay. it's a bit interesting the way. It's just a bit different than we how we do it. Yeah. And have you had a chance to go back during your PhD? Um, not to England. Actually, well, you know, I was in Ireland at the end of... Um, at the end of the summer, but that was, it. I did not, not to the university. <laughs> so unfortunately, no, I never even went back for my graduation. Oh, no. You'll be there for the purple robe for this one, though. Yes, of <laughs> course. <laughs> so what does a PhD candidate do in their last few weeks before their defense? Oh, I think as we talked about panic. Um, <laughs> right now I am applying to postdoc fellowships. Um, so hopefully, fingers crossed, I will um, have a successful application. Um, but right now, um, as per my supervisor's recommendations, read and know everything I wrote in my thesis and... Um, go through the references so I've just been sort of rereading a lot of papers I've read throughout my degree but maybe not have looked back on in a little while nice so a lot of reading (laughs) and so as we're coming towards the end of our show do you have any tips or uh, wise words for PhD students progressing through their program right now Uh, wise words I guess maybe enjoy it (laughs) I think we all start our, our programs you know trying to uh you know, be the most successful or have the most fun. But I think at the end of the day, we just want to, you know, have a have the degree and um, either, you know, decide if you want to stay in academia or not. I think it's very much a growing experience and deciding sort of where you want your career to go. Um, if you decide you want to stay in academia, thinking about what sort of career you'd want for yourself. If you don't, where you think you feel will fit in sort of industry or or government or what have you. So a, a very much a growing experience and realizing that experience. More of a journey than a destination, if it were. Definitely. <laughs> so um, if anyone wants to learn more about your lab and some of the research that you do, where is a good place for them to go? Uh, sure. So my supervisor is Dr. Rob Petrella. His primary appointment is actually family medicine. Mm-hmm. So go on that Schulich or you can go on the kinesiology um, webpage 
to and see his link there. We have a lab page on his Schulich Center for Studies in Family Medicine. Um, talks about all of his research, his other projects, um, and if you just sort of Google square stepping exercise, or you can, they have the fellows um, over in Japan have a YouTube video. You can cool. sort of just type it into YouTube and you'll find square stepping exercise. Huh. I'll find a cool video. Awesome. And then um, I guess to close, what do you kind of hope happens with the square stepping? Do you see it becoming something that's implemented in our complex care facilities or what do um, you envision? I really hope that the Schlegel Villages, I hope that works out, that they continue to use it in long-term care. The residents really loved it. Um, as well as the kinesiologists who implemented it. Um, they're very excited about it and the possibilities. Um, I'm not sure about in community how it will go. I mean, I think it could be an add-on to some community centers um, or uh, seniors fitness programs. Awesome. Well, Erin, I'd really like to thank you very much for coming onto the show. You've given us a great overview of square stepping and the different physical and cognitive applications that it has for many different patient populations. Um, uh, my co-host today is Tanya. My name is Roger. And again, our guest today was Erin Shellington. Um, you can catch us uh, every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on CHRW. Uh, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com if you'd like to get involved. And you can check us out, uh, out our full episodes at uh, gradcast.ca and this has been a production of the Society of Graduate Students and thank you very much for listening. Have a great week. Thank you. Hi everybody. Welcome back to Gradcast, the official radio show of the Society of Graduate Students here on CHRW at Western University. Um, and we're just back for a brief snapshot after the episode on exercise you just heard. So think of this as a cool down. I'm Alex Mozinski and I'm joined by Charlotte Panatin. Hello. All right, and we're here interviewing Amanda Lynn Stubbley really quick. How are you, Amanda Lynn? I'm good, thanks. I'm cool um, now. And we're here to talk about fundraising at our uh, radio station at Western CHRW. Can you please tell us a little bit about that? Well, uh, we have just launched two weeks of on-air fundraising starting on Monday. And uh, our fundraising campaign is called Connecting the Forest City. And we're reaching out to our listeners uh, beyond the campus. We're funded by uh, the University Students Council here on campus already. And we're asking for our community members to support us. So I can tell you more about it, but that's what's happening. Okay. So we're reaching out to the community. I know some of you guys out there listen to Gradcast because mm -hmm. we've had people phone in. So come on, guys. You All want right. us to stay on the radio? Keep uh, Help us stay on the air. I uh, Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about our campaign. I don't know how much you guys have had a chance to hear about it. You want to hear about it? Yes, yeah. please. <laughs> so uh, this year we're going with what's called an incentive-based model. That's fundraising uh, jargon. It means that when people make a donation to us, they get something back from us. As We're calling them rewards or gifts. So it's not a one-to-one -one situation in terms of the amount that you give us uh, and what you get back, but they're pretty great incentives. So uh, there's some ones coming from CHRW, Radio Western. For example, you can get a t-shirt for $30, our brand new t-shirt. You can check it out on social media. But there's other amazing things that our community members have coughed up. So uh, many uh, uh, businesses have given us gift certificates. Uh, there's the Soho Bar and Grill, Filthy Rubino, which is a vintage store, Old East Village Grocer. There's tons of that. There's also many tickets. So tickets for shows at Aeolian Hall, shows that Sunfest are doing. 
uh, the Cuckoo's Nest Folk Club up in Bayfield. We, uh, so I'm excited about stuff like that, but there's also some wacky fun ones coming from RW. So this is, if you want to come in and have your voice live on forever at CHRW, you can pay us, uh, make a donation, and you come in here and we'll record your voice as a station ID, so you can say your wackiest one. This is a CHRW, and you're listening to Gradcast <laughs> for a donation uh, to us. We're really grateful for that. And so um, CHRW has been around for a really long time, but why now? Why this incentive for, or this, um, why, are we, why are you starting the funding drive now as opposed to earlier years where it was mostly funded by an external party and then maybe some people have been donating, but why the push now? Well, for one thing, the University Students Council has approached us and asked us to find alternate sources of funding in the city. Uh, that's uh, very important to us, and we take our funders seriously when they come to us with that. But we also really want to connect. This is we're as much friend-raising as fundraising. We want to hear from our community, know that they're here, that they've got our back, that they want to work with us because we're looking for partners moving forward. So does this represent necessarily a shift from, let's say, campus radio to community radio and independent community radio? Uh, not, not entirely because that's a CRTC regulatory thing <laughs> with their license. We are a campus station. Okay. But our programming reflects both campus interests and community interests, and we're asking for our community to step up and support us. Excellent. Okay, so last question. Um, if I was a community member, or myself, I guess I am a community member, mm -hmm. and I wanted to make a donation, how would I do that? You go to chrwradio.ca, and it's very, very simple. You click on the Support Radio Western button in the top right corner, and uh, that you just follow the links. You can make a charitable donation to us and get a re tax receipt, or you can uh, follow the links to find out about these great rewards. You can be a programmer for a day, you can be a CHRW program director for a day, and you can even get our station manager, Uncle Ando, DJ Uncle Ando, to drive you around in his car for three hours. <laughs> We're calling it dinner, the bar, and get out of the car. It's 7 to 10 p.m. for you and two friends. Uh, he'll wear his best tracksuit. He has a lot of them. He has a really funky car. Those are excellent incentives. <laughs> We're excited to boat them. It sounds like you guys are really putting the fun in fundraising. <laughs> anyway, I yeah. know I'll be making my donation. I hope all of you guys listening uh, will, will be too. It really helps to support the radio station. Mandolin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks. And, it was uh, a great show, you guys. See you guys all next time.